Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You have a space in an industry that now has a market cap collectively of uh, over $2 trillion mm. that did not exist seven years ago. Right. And I've met now hundreds of people who've had their lives transformed economically, including a lot of creators who mm-hmm. were producing things and were having a hard time accessing the market because the media market and the art market in particular, very, very narrow and institutionalized. Mm-hmm. But through NFTs, they've been able to command incomes that they never could have imagined. You can have mechanics where a creator gets paid for a resale in a way that was never possible before. You start talking to these folks and you realize, wait a minute, like, you know, some of you have the equivalent of a universal basic income. Some of you have the equivalent of these kind of social economies that I was writing about back in 2017, 2018 that have come alive. This is, to me, one of the most profound opportunities, maybe the most profound opportunity to fight poverty uh, that's on the table right now. I mean, mm-hmm. what are the other major opportunities to fight poverty? Uh, lobby Congress for the Enhanced Child Tax Credit, which we're doing. Mm-hmm. But one of the cases we're making right now is that D.C. is kind of broken and dysfunctional. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if that's your situation, like you still try and push, 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 you know, and then you try to reform the system. Um, but you also look around and say, wait, like that there are whole new economies that are emerging that are being enabled by Mm -hmm. digital currencies and and other innovations. So let's try and make the most of that. And if you have a space that's worth trillions of dollars, one of my personal ambitions by coming in and saying, look, we have to demonstrate that this can be used to benefit a broader public than maybe it's perceived to, or maybe than it is right now. Let's take a billion and fight some poverty with it and then show people what, what can be done. I mean, a billion would be a very small fraction of what's happening in Web3. Yep. So I'm pumped about it. This week on Ford, Russia encroaching, possibly invading Ukraine, Web3, our time at ETH Denver, and how we think it can help modernize economies and fight poverty, and follow up on the boy crisis, my conversation with Dr. Farrell, how does the Tinder swindler fit into it? This week on Forward. We're live. It's happening. Bow, 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 bow. 
This week, the third podcast is on the road. Where on the road, you may ask? If you're watching the video, you see it's sunny, it's warm. Where could we be? But the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And it's amazing. What's that? Do Zach and Andrew vacation together? (laughs) (laughs) Not not usually, man. Not usually. No, no. We don't have that kind of relationship. But this time, we're doing a quasi-work retreat. Uh, Carly is is here doing some Web3 work. So, you know, there, there are all sorts of fun reasons to combine forces here in puerto rico it is lovely here it is lovely and for just for anyone i cracked a beer a beer local medalla light beer local puerto rico gonna make this podcast interesting and yeah carly crypto carly is shooting um her own version of let's call it web3 meets parts unknown and she's a you know a different type of version of Anthony Bourdain theoretically so yeah we're, we're productive the kids are here you might see Dan, you might see the little yeah my, my kids might wander onto set yeah it's good times well we're and, here welcome back folks now so the world's attention is on the situation with Russia invading Ukraine or not invading uh, it certainly seems like an invasion is imminent as of this recording they had declared some of the separatist territories to be uh, Russian in mm-hmm. essence and sent a bunch of troops. And by the time this airs, it could be that a full on uh, invasion has begun. Certainly seems like we're trending that direction. They announced a potential summit between Putin, Biden and Macron that everyone knows won't happen <laughs> if full on hostilities yeah. occur and the odds of that again seem pretty high so occasionally i get asked something it's like hey if you were president what would you do which is a reasonable that was my first question that, yeah and uh, you know i ran for president uh i i actually remember you remember this when during one of the debates they wanted to stick it to me so they said like what would you say to putin when yeah. you first call you have no experience being up here what would you say to, to vladimir putin, putin? <laughs> and then I, I said sorry i beat your guy and then i got a laugh Thank you. Uh, But this situation does make me very, very sad where Putin is uh, aggressively trying to reconstitute the USSR. Uh, Ukraine has a system of government that's at least somewhat democratic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I feel like this invasion is trying to take advantage of American uh, vulnerability and instability in part, maybe Biden's unpopularity. And, And one of the interesting things is that the uh, in another type of regime, maybe a Biden type would say, common enemy, Russia, let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it seems like that's not the tone at all. It, it seems like the tone is centered around sanctions and punishing Russia economically, which is something that Russia and Putin, I'm sure, fully expect and expected. Mm-hmm. So that that's not going to dissuade them in this. But you're not seeing this kind of call to arms feeling at all where Biden is saying, okay, sure, things may may be kind of uh, faltering a little bit in terms of my domestic agenda, but here's something Americans can rally behind. Right. It. So I will say this, I'll preface by saying we are not experts in foreign policy or specifically Russia, Ukraine relations. Um, we should try, I'm going to try and get Ian Bremmer back on here. So I was reading um, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, a fascinating book on World War II and basically Hitler coming into power. And 
one of it's long so those is like don't be like you read this exact it's so dry i'm sorry but it, it is long but it's it's interesting and one of the biggest things that was happening when hitler's rise of power was occurring was he was slowly but surely invading some of his narrowing country na- neighboring countries with like relative justification like I don't think you can say, yes, that's okay. But there was like, in the same way Russia has right now, it's like, hey, we do have territories here or uh, there are citizens getting here. Persecuted or something right. along those lines. We've made the modern Ukraine today. Russia, Russian is the most common language, most popular language, I think, in Ukraine or one of them at least. So there's like kind of false justifications there for an invasion. And the rest of the world is like, uh, I don't want to go to for Ukraine, you want to go to war for Ukraine? Like, I don't, you know, it's like that, and it feels like Russia knows this, is playing chess a bit, but the rest of us are, are maybe we're playing checkers. I'm not really sure, but they're putting the EU and us in a situation where, like, well, we don't want to put our troops over there, but if Russia goes in, they're going to stomp Ukraine and take what they want. Um, and the question is, what are the consequences of that action? You know what I'm saying? If we're doing nothing, which we're probably going to do, we'll do some economic sanctions, that sort of thing. But the consequences when Hitler did it were awful because then he basically bought himself more time to grow his army and grow his territory. And then he became tougher to beat. So Russia's ambition seems to be to reconstitute the USSR. There is a massive difference between now and the 1940s where that predated nuclear weapons, where in this case, Russia's a nuclear power, where in nuclear power, there are other nuclear powers. So it, it becomes much more of a stakes and judgment question where it's like, what are the stakes? Is this something that we will go to conventional war over? Uh, and then will the great powers be able to exercise restraint so that that conflict doesn't escalate to something unmanageable or unconscionable? I'm a little bit surprised that Biden isn't taking a more robust stance here because Russia has been screwing with us very, very clearly for years and years in terms of uh, hacking our democracy, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like Russian bots and interference in the last election and everything else. And when I was running for president, I said, look, these are acts of hostility. Most Americans get it. And if you were to say to Russia, you have to stop trying to subvert our elections and misinform the American people. Misinformation really is one of Russia's go-to moves. They're mm-hmm. excellent at it. So you should take that as uh, an act of aggression. Mm-hmm. It's happening every day from everything we can see. And then when they supplement that aggression with trying to absorb uh, their neighbor, and regardless of the history that Ukraine used to be part of the USSR, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not sure why Biden isn't taking a more, this is a great opportunity for us to frankly show Putin that we're not going to lay down and have him just expand and attack and and do things that are Mm -hmm. uh, out of bounds. I mean, the calculation seems to be that Ukraine is not worth going to war over. Right. From the outside looking in, my question is that, well, we don't really have a public conflict at the moment, right? We pulled out of Afghanistan. Is this a possible, like, you know, is this becoming an issue, possibly a whole bunch of moneyed interests leaning on certain elected officials? Is this real? Well, is this, you know? I mean, if, if that were happening, then I feel like you would see see more of a call to arms mm. kind of thing. So we're spending, let's call it a trillion dollars a year uh, on the military. I think it's around that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I've always been more or less aligned with the thinking that we're overspending, uh, that a lot of the money we're spending isn't really making us safer. 
that you wind up with this tail wagging the dog situation where you have these mammoth interests in trying to find the next war to fight. Those resources could be better spent in myriad other ways. Right. Uh, so that's my, my general outlook. Yeah. All of that said, if you're going to maintain the world's largest military and Russia attacks Ukraine, I think that this would be an occasion to deeply consider utilizing that military. Because if Russia's allowed to invade Ukraine, I know this thinking has been used for all sorts of disastrous things in, in times past, but if Russia is allowed to conquer Ukraine, do we really think Putin will be like, okay, that's it. You know, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> um, do, do you really think that other powers around the world won't say, hmm, turns out when push comes to shove, the U.S. really doesn't want to do anything. So maybe I'm going to have my eye on my neighbor with the natural resources or the historical tie or whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I do feel a bit bewildered why the administration isn't going a bit harder. A betting person would look at the situation and say that you don't amass 200,000 troops at the border of the Ukraine and then stop. If you look at the map, I mean, they've surrounded all of the east, a good chunk in the north, and uh, about half the south border of Ukraine. They basically have like a crescent moon shape around the country. But it is a chess game, make no mistake. Um, there's more to this than we understand or know that's not public. We, as usual with this administration, are losing the PR battle, I'll say that for sure. Um, and Americans are just left like confused and holding it back, which is why I wanted to talk about it in the pod. It's like, I don't know what's going on. I think the average person, I think the, the takeaway, I think for folks like us just listening is like, this is a big deal or probably a big deal, definitely potentially a big deal. It is unclear how America is going to respond, but it will affect, I think the next, it will definitely affect, you know, the time from now to the midterms for sure, if it blows up and, and possibly the rest of the administration um, in terms of the shape of power structures globally, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just feels like the US is receding. And uh, again, if I have a philosophy, it is, Rebuild yourself at home first. Yeah. That if you're collapsing at home, then nothing else is going to work. There should be a response that discourages Putin directly and then someone who's thinking about taking any kind of similar action towards their neighbor. I mean, you don't want to devolve into a world where it's just regional strongmen trying to absorb assets and take over neighboring states. Are we trending in that direction generally? It feels like it. Mm -hmm. In my mind, Putin's been acting aggressively and as an adversary, really, the U.S. for years. Uh, and now that it's come to this flashpoint, uh, I, I do feel like the U.S. should almost be looking at this as like, OK, like this is something very direct that we can get involved in in, in a way that can send a very clear message. Both countries, us and Russia, have nuclear weapons. It's this game where if you play it out, there eventually becomes like the threat of, are you gonna nuke me? Like that's, uh, and that's awful. It, with that logical, there should be a diplomacy option because it's just the mutually assured destruction, right? Um, so I don't know, it's gonna be fascinating to watch. Um, we will do our best to try to like parse through what's real and what's not, which is, um, cause right now you're seeing like, uh, you're seeing like both sides, like kind of, uh, I don't think the Republicans and Democrats are truly united on this. I think the far left's like no war and the middle left is like, Joe Biden's gonna be strong and the right is like, fuck Russia. But then there's part of the right that's like, Joe Biden is reckless foreign policy. Like, you know, you've seen those. I think our general history has been to be a bit too eager to go to war, uh, shall we say? And <laughs> yeah. I, I think that yeah. Democrats have gotten kind of bullied and shamed into being for conflicts that they weren't genuinely for because they didn't want to appear weak. Mm -hmm. uh, Hillary's war authorization vote comes to mind. 
Um, you know, like yeah, it, it, I mean, like Barack it, ran it, on it, right? And um, yeah, I mean, it, it it felt like it wasn't genuine. It just seemed like a political thing because Democrats don't want to appear weak. So it, it is funny, that, like where a lot of the things I'm saying uh, are still cutting against my thinking for this particular episode, <laughs> where, where it's, uh, I mean, put put bluntly, it's like Putin's been fucking with us for years uh, in ways that have really been very destructive, uh, and now. He's attacking Ukraine, and if we don't have a commensurate response, then it, you know what was it all for? It's like that. It turns out he weakened the United States resolve to a point where he can attack a a neighbor. That there are, and you know, I think I'm I'm somewhat biased on this because I met a bunch of Ukrainians over like the last number of uh, months and really? years. Yeah, just like you just know, on the trail. Or yeah, what? just out out and about, and I've liked them. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's actually factoring by thinking a little bit and where it's like, you know, I, 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 like I met someone from uh, <laughs> Ukraine the other day and I was like, oh, are you concerned? And he said right now his family's not concerned for life and limb yet. But, you know, the very emphasis on yet. Yeah. BBC had an interesting piece and the New York Times had a piece today, too. I, I like the New York Times. Generally, their foreign reporting, their foreign policy, because they have enough money to put reporters like on the ground in the Ukraine and elsewhere. Um, they're saying most people are not freaked out, but they were packing up to move. They're like, I'm just going to get out of this war zone. So they're confident something will happen, dust will settle, and, and that sort of thing. And a lot of folks, they, they're used to this, sadly. You do have a Russia who has been fucking with us, to your point, with disinformation and high ROI activities on social media and, and elsewhere. And we're at a point now where we can't get any sort of national consensus or majority behind our, yeah, our leader. That, that's and a sense. That yeah. makes us weak. And, he, and Putin is smart. Putin's very smart. He understands that. So... If you're going to try and mess with the United States, he's doing it the right way. Put it that way. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device, you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more.
this is too dark and heavy a conversation for vacation mode. So let's talk about, um, I wanna talk about ETH Denver because we just went to Denver and, t- and like dove into, I'm gonna call it crypto mania, um, which I think is a fun perspective. I don't wanna dive into Web3. A lot of folks are not necessarily like into crypto or that sort of thing per se. Um, but this was a wild experience. Uh, how was your, your time in Denver, Andrew? What did you learn about? <laughs> I, I had a blast. It reminded me of a lot of tech conferences I've been to, but turned up a bit higher. Yeah, they threw you on main stage last minute, which was really fun. Yeah, I saw a lot of people I knew. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the Yang gang, former Yang gang, current Yang gang, whatever it was, have gone into Web3, which has been fun. Yeah, so I had a blast. Yeah. Uh, Enjoyed it immensely. Met a lot of tremendous entrepreneurs, a lot of young people. There's a lot of energy and youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it makes you optimistic about the future of the space because if you have that much ingenuity and energy, then some good things are going to develop. For those of you who maybe missed last week's episode, um, or last Thursday's episode, we started something called Lobby 3. And the idea is to get the community of folks interested in crypto, NFTs, and Web3 together to advocate and lobby in DC for what Web3 can do specifically around eradicating poverty. Now, you tweeted about this, we had a whole, we're pushing it and we're gonna be pushing the next couple of weeks because um, we wanna build this up. Political Twitter did not understand this. And I wanted to address something because some of our audience is part of that world. You, you said, and I agree with this statement, that Web3 can or has the best potential of any tool we have to eradicate poverty. It can eradicate poverty. And man, blue check Twitter was like, that doesn't make any sense, you know nothing, right? So I wanted to ask you in your eyes, how, what do you mean when you say it can eradicate poverty? How would that work? What ideas are you looking at? What excites you about that? You have a space in an industry that now has a market cap collectively of uh, over $2 trillion Mm. that did not exist seven years ago. Right. And I've met now, hundreds of people who've had their lives transformed economically, including a lot of creators who Mm -hmm. were producing things and were having a hard time accessing the market because the media market and the art market in particular, very, very narrow and institutionalized. Mm -hmm. But through NFTs, they've been able to command incomes that they never could have imagined. You can have mechanics where a creator gets paid for a resale in a way that was never possible before. You start talking to these folks and you realize, wait a minute, like, you know, some of you have the equivalent of a universal basic income. Some of you have the equivalent of these kind of social economies that I was writing about back in 2017, 2018 that have come alive. This is to me one of the most profound opportunities, maybe the most profound opportunity to fight poverty uh, that's on the table right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. what are the other major opportunities to fight poverty? Uh, Lobby Congress for the Enhanced Child Tax Credit, which we're doing. Mm -hmm. But one of the cases we're making right now is that D.C. is kind of broken and dysfunctional. (laughs) If that's your situation, like you still try and push, 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 you know, and then you try to reform the system. Um, But you also look around and say, wait, like that there are whole new economies that are emerging that are being enabled by Mm -hmm. digital currencies and, and other innovations. So let's try and make the most of that. And if you have a space that's worth trillions of dollars, one of my personal ambitions by coming in and saying, look, we have to demonstrate that this can be used to benefit a broader public than maybe it's perceived to or maybe than it is right now. Let's take a billion and fight some poverty with it and then show people what what can be done. I mean, a billion would be a very small fraction of what's happening in Web3. So I'm pumped about it. So, I mean, an example is you 
record a song and it's an NFT now, anytime it's played, you could get the pennies yourself instead of funneling it through Spotify or the record labels, which you're talking about giving money to the masses instead of the few, right? Instead of the institutional company. Yeah, Web, um, Web3 could be the middleman killer. Yeah. Uh, and right now, the middlemen are the biggest companies in the history of the world. Yeah. Sort of. For, for in some of the cases, you know what I mean? In many, yeah, in a number of cases. So we're going to do an AMA on Friday the 25th. It's tomorrow, if you're listening to this, um, when it comes out on Thursday. Um, with Scott Santons, who's been on this podcast before. But he's working on a number of projects that are versions of... UBI in the blockchain, but what, like, okay, Zach, it's tough to get on the blockchain. How do we do that? But here's what's exciting. I'm excited about, and you kind of, and I want to pick your brand on this too, because you kind of talked about this when you ran for mayor. Um, and it was in your book, War on Normal People, about digital social credits, which I was like, this doesn't make any sense, or this is too crazy. Um, but the concept is if you took a neighborhood that needed an economic lift and you said, hey, here is a, you know, Hartford, let's say Hartford, Connecticut, where I'm from, Hartford coin. And if you spend it in Hartford, it's worth 10 times, you know, it's, you can return it back for 10 cents on the dollar. So you get 10 X of what you ever pay for, what we give you, right, um, in terms of dollars. But if you spend it in Hartford, in these businesses or restaurants or whatever local stuff, it's worth, exactly, it's worth, you know, 10 times more than a dollar, right? And you can get it back and you cre can create economic value for more than what you paid for. And you can do that on the blockchain because other folks that live in Hartford would therefore want it, their supply and demand, you can control it without having to do all the formal currency problems we have in terms of creating new currencies within the United States or globally. Um, talk more about that or how it would work or if that excites you too. Hopefully Scott will talk about it too on our Discord in, in fr on Friday. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it because one of the primary things you can do with the blockchain is have what's called smart money where it, it changes properties based mm. upon uh, the type of place you spend mm. it. Or who has uh, it, right? Or yeah, like it, it, it like, you know, that there, there's total transparency attached to it. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not, not as prone to corruption and, and the rest of it. If you wanted to try and rejuvenate neighborhoods, uh, some of them have already adopted local currencies uh, with some positive results. Uh, Ithaca, uh, I believe, had its own currency. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are different towns that have done this. Um, in my view, in an ideal world, eventually you reach a point where you, it's plug and play, where you can have a local currency. Some of the things that I'm most concerned about, um, right now you have this winner-take-all economy. The value is flowing all up into the cloud to Amazon. Um, you're going to decimate downtowns and small businesses. Um, are, yeah. Yeah, to already, yeah. right? And now, if you live in a particular town, you know what you get told a lot? Buy local. And you're like, okay, let, let me do that. Walk um, around Brooklyn, they all say, buy local. Yeah, and, and then that, that works on you every once in a while. But then, generally speaking, you just take the path of least resistance. Yeah. Uh, so what the heck does the future look like? And the, the future looks like, frankly, more and more winner-take-all economy, uh, economics, yep. unless you had uh, a way to genuinely... Uh, reward and reinforce and incentivize these behaviors that we Correct. talk about, but we don't actually reward you for doing. Correct. You have no incentive right now, unless you're either super rich or so, man, you have to be super rich, I think, to start your own boutique fashion store in Brooklyn right now. There's not, there's no, you're not gonna have the foot, flow, the foot traffic, you're not gonna have, you're gonna have all the expenses and then you'll be competing with global conglomerates and people that can just buy it while sitting on their couch at home, right? So if you added 
economic incentive to folks like, hey, yeah, you can buy on Amazon, right? But if you buy here locally, it's you get 10 times the value. And, and then like then or if you volunteer at the local nonprofit, mm, you right. get this currency that you can then use in like the local yep. shops downtown. And then like you actually can start to build yep. like a, a more robust uh, local economy. Yep. In whole new imaginative ways. Yeah. Managed and, locally instead of the federal government being like, this is what's valuable. It's like yeah, the people and, of Brooklyn, and, whoever city you're. This is one of the frustrations I have about our system, man. It's like, you know, it's like all of the economic flows head in a particular direction. Let's say to Amazon, just to keep yeah. things simple in a way that everyone can understand. Uh, and, and then you'll have a bunch of folks, you know, essentially like paying lip service to the other thing. Um, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we talk about it just to make ourselves feel better. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you just have to look at the, the actual economic system. It'll lead you to, to a predictable outcome. Now, the great thing is that you can build whole new local economic systems. I mean, this could become like a, you know, a, like a nonprofit executives or museum executive or city planner or uh, like local officials dream yes. dream come true you redo cities yeah faster like, than you ever could have before yeah the, the, the frustration i have is like we're essentially the people who are put in that position and you and i know this is people who ran nonprofits. it's mm -hmm. like they're, they're, they're like standing on top of a sinking ship but all their economic incentives are just to like talk about oh we can like you know if we all come together we'll be able we to, need like, to create the whole the voices like, da, 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 we need to do even though blah. You know, and hey, I'm not getting paid enough, and like all I do is sing for my supper, so that my organization me. can stay afloat until I'm out, and the world's going to disintegrate around me. Well, like, like I mean, that, that's and meanwhile, what are they solving? Like. Nothing, right? Like they, they yeah. talk. Um, yeah. So, so, they, it, so what you need is, is is like okay. is different economic systems uh, that can be adopted at a localized level, and the blockchain and Web three uh, are potentially a very powerful way to do that. Yes. What we're trying to do is that this is it's new, it's exciting, but it needs it is the Wild West right now. It does need like sensible regulation and oversight because if done wrong, there's scams, there's done wrong. Like you don't want to hurt the people who are already vulnerable, right, with bad systems that are ineffectively managed. But you also want to empower the right people to set them up. So um, that is the point of Lobby 3 to figure out ideas like this that can get people banked for the first time, give them economic incentives locally, redo our broken system. Um, and we need the federal government and our state governments to really um, understand this, be educated on this, know what to advocate for. We need the left, in my opinion, to be championing the human side of this. Right now, they're like crypto. Meh. And that's that's destructive to me. Well, the, the left, in theory, is for uh, broader distribution. Everything we just said, yeah. Uh, it, it's for transparency. Uh, it's for uh, trying to dislodge some of the megacorps. Uh, and uh, Web3 could be a path to these things. It's just that most folks on the left have something of a skepticism or mistrust of mm -hmm. uh, technology and innovation at this point, unfortunately, which, yep. which is something that you know I'd, I'd love to help change. And I get that. We're trying to change it. That's what Lobby 3 is doing. So if you want to check it out, we're going to be with Scott um, tomorrow in our Discord. You can find the Discord. It's it's on lobby3.io or um, on Andrew's Twitter profile. You can just click the link. Click the link, um, And that'll be in the afternoon and it should be up for a while too. So um, anyway, super exciting. We start minting. We start building this community on Monday upcoming, which is crazy. Uh, we have over... 
I mean, by the time you got this, we're gonna be close to four or 5,000 people in the Discord uh, and growing, which is super exciting. We've got this whole if, new community. If you're into Web3, join us. If you're not into Web3, maybe you maybe stop, but check you it out. it. Check it out or, Friday. Or you, or, <laughs> or you can ignore it, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. As, as long as your friends in crypto know about it, you should be okay. There's enough voices there that are excited about this that we can get behind it. Yeah, but yeah. We'll hopefully we'll make it obvious a little yeah. bit later. <laughs> um, that's true, that's one of the things we'll work on. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. This past Friday, I had a watch party for the uh, forward event in New York City, which you were a part of. You remember that night? Oh yeah, I was there. Yeah, and I have I made this... a cameo in that, if I recall. Yeah, I know you're in the video, little, man. Little bit, little so bit. it's one of the things that I, I hang around should... the Yang universe. You know, I'm on the pod. I come, I introduce him once in a while. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so reliving that night was a lot of fun, uh, and I, I relived it with. You know, hundreds of people that decided to watch it live with us on yeah. Friday night. And I can't wait for people to see this recording. So if you haven't seen this recording, if you go to forwardparty.com, there, there, it is behind a paywall right now. It's like 10 buck donation to Forward Party, which I'm going to suggest is not that big do. a deal. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I'm so proud of it. Uh, I, I can't wait to get it out uh, everywhere. And, you know, eventually it, it will make its way out into the, the world. Uh, but what a great night that was, man. You know, like yeah. watching it my, myself, like the producers did a great job. I actually had not seen the final version. Have you seen the final version? It's I haven't really, seen the final file. No. So it's really they beautiful. They did it good, right? Yeah. They, they um, did a very, very strong job. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who showed up um, and uh, joined the live stream last week because it was really a joy to relive it with you. And, and if you weren't there, don't worry about it, um, you know, but do check out the video because I'm really proud of it. It's like, me talking about some of the biggest ideas from both the presidential and the launch of the forward party for you know mm -hmm. 48 minutes or something along those lines so so it's the equivalent of like a netflix special yeah it's like a uh it's like half ted talk it's like double length of a ted talk or so it's half that but then half a 
bit of stand-up comedy like it, you yeah you i did wax some, comedic it's pretty funny because um, how are you gonna entertain people for 48 minutes if you're not at least somewhat funny you know we brought actually i'll give you this we brought carly's parents to it they that's what town. i think about i think about the riley's and they were they're pretty like you know they're 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 fans of andrews obviously but they're critical because they've seen him speak and other things and they were like her dad in particular was blown away. He really liked it. So um, he's a tough guy to please. So that's, I'll give you like some context. I think you'll enjoy it. It's worth your time. And it's it's very eye-opening what's going on in the world. Uh, Monday's podcast, we had mm. on Dr. Warren Farrell, who's the co-author of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling, What We Can Do About It. And this is a topic that you're very passionate about, Zach. We've been talking about this for a while too. And his book just hammers you with, with figures and stats and... It's just eye-opening and depressing. Well, I'll tell you as a dad, it certainly made me feel kind of good about myself because apparently dads are really fucking important. You and know, all you need to do is show up as like the biggest one. Just show up. That's like, I mean, I, it, it did make me feel kind of good on that level. Like, where it's I'm like, here. Like, <laughs> I, I exist. I mean, I'm on the road a lot and I'm pretty busy, but I exist. Your number one goal is to stay married, man. I mean, that's a big one, right? I, so, life. you know, I have two things I bring to the table. One, I exist. Mm -hmm. And two, I roughhouse. Roughhousing, <laughs> uh, very key. Um, yeah, but who knew? Boys need to learn I mean, to I knew, so I did it, but yeah. I continue to do it. But now when I roughhouse, I actually Speaking feel like I'm being are. a fucking awesome dad. So it's a good, <laughs> it's a good feeling. Yeah. Uh, but the, the book was a very bleak portrait that's getting more bleak. Uh, this is something that we're going to continue to hammer uh, because no one's doing fuck all about it. It's like, you know, one of like the, the, the main things Not no one, but like, it's really not as much of a thing. Um, as it should be, uh, I, I want to change that with the, the forward party. It's rare, man. And I was looking at, um, I'll just be transparent. I was looking at guys, um, cause we're funded by you guys listening and then ads pay to sell you their shit. And so thank you all for putting up with our tushy ads, et cetera. Um, we try to do companies we use ourselves. Yeah. Um, we try to do companies we actually like. We do vet out a lot. So whatever that's worth. Um, but uh, I was looking with our podcast producers to see if there was anyone that would be interested in funding well, another episode of a week or a deep dive into boys and men's issues. And the, the candid answer is like, not really. Um, Procter & Gamble sponsors one um, that our, our friend uh, Liz Plank is, is on called, I think it's called Man Enough. But that is, um, and we've had Liz on this podcast. I agree with her on a lot of things. I'm really grateful that she's actually doing it. I don't agree with her on everything. And I think their version of it is like a, a leftier version than um, I think better than nothing, but not what you and I have wanted to talk about. Like I want to talk about male disintegration and why that's happening. And what they talk about is how men can reevaluate and change their relationship with masculinity. Um, and I think that's part of it, but it's deeper than that. And no one's touching kind of uh, what, what Dr. Farrell's saying and, and what we've been talking about. Um, so anyway, uh, companies don't want to touch this because they're also risk averse, you know? Dr. Farrell, told me about, you know, some of the responses he got. And it, it, I mean, it, there's something, this makes me much more determined in the sense it's like, why do people attack people who are concerned about men and boys? There, there's something very, very odd afoot. Seriously. Seriously, right? I mean, we're talking about like, you know, half of humanity, does it, like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, what? Dude, this guy was like the male champion for feminism and now he's like, kind of fringe in the way to these fortune 500 companies he's not getting the same gigs he was even when we talk about it we get we get a lot of positive feedback we get a bunch of dumb we get shit all the time fine 
But we get a lot of dumb shit here, like irrational thought on this. And uh, this I know a, it's emotional for folks, but it's... I watched Tinder Swindler on Netflix uh, last night with Evelyn. Have you seen Tinder Swindler? I saw the first half. Carly watched the whole thing. She said it's mind-blowing. I got the gist. Because Tinder Swindler sent a very, very powerful message that this particular guy was fucking evil. You know, which he mm. was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there were... A number of women he victimized that were like very, very sympathetic figures Correct. in my view. They fell in love with him. Yeah. And so one of the messages I think that when you talk about why it is that people are attacking people who care about boys and men um, is that they're seeing. So there's a circularity going on right now. It's like you have a lot of men who, let's say, like are, are not what you want them to be, which Certainly, like anyone can see that's happening. I mean, there are a lot of assholes. And then you're having them interact with a host of people. And then people think that men are victimizers, abusers, mm-hmm. uh, criminals, hateful. Then you have positive, uh, wholesome, uh, caring men who are doing great things out there. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think like the ratio is getting kind of worse over time. And one of the Dr. Warren Farrell th- like arguments is that if you have failed men, they don't get married. Mm-hmm. So if there are boys who are b- born, they don't have dads. And it turns out dad deprivation is a massive, massive problem. Uh, and so then you have fewer men out there that are going to turn into caring, supportive fathers. And then like the cycle just continues and gets worse. Right. It, it grows. The vicious cycle right, grows upon itself. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You know, I think there's a lot of press on like women that are bucking the trend and they're badasses in entrepreneurship and business. And that's, and I think those are good, great things. Like I like that, right. And it's good for, it's good for women. It's good for society, but I don't, we don't have, um, it doesn't really apply to men that are good men. You know, the women that are not flashy, this, they stay the course, they're faithful to their wives. They work every day. They keep purpose. They're great for their kids. They're faithful. They're strong, steady, caring. They do the right thing. You're not seeing much press on that, you know? Um, you see a lot of press when men disintegrate. Celebration of decent shitty. manhood. Yeah, and there and there are a and the majority of men are decent, but it's growing in number. How many of the bad ones are, and we're not fo- when we don't focus on it, you know. And that's my fear. My, it's been my fear this whole time is that men disintegrating hurt women, um, and they hurt everybody by the numbers, but they'll they'll hurt women the most and the most vulnerable the most, or uh, hurt, hurt themselves. Yep, that too. That's true. Which also hurts women. Like if you're if you're a father and you have kids and um and a wife and then you disintegrate into drugs pornography or, or mental depression or if you're and, and suicide a boy, or if you're a boy and so i 
saw for the first time last week. Evelyn did this too. She's got his tickets. Uh, we saw Dear Evan Hansen. Have you seen Dear Evan Hansen? I have not. It's been on my list. I heard the movie wasn't great. Um, the movie you saw, I saw the play. We actually went and saw the play. The play is amazing. Yeah, that's apparently wonderful. I was, I haven't ever got, never gotten into it. So no, I haven't. It, it was very on point to what we're talking about right now because Evan Hansen is a troubled teen with mm-hmm. a single mom. And the single mom's trying, trying, trying and very sympathetic. Um, but she doesn't really get what's going on with her son. And then her her son uh, has serious struggles and problems. And I felt like a lot of people could relate to a lot of aspects of this play. Um, I felt like it was very American. It was very of the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that there are a lot of troubled uh, boys, uh, male teenagers with single moms. Where the mom's trying but doesn't really get it. Uh, and... Uh, one of the men that Dr. Farrell described, um, he was raised by his mom and his aunts and he hated them, which, I'm, you know, it's like it makes you sad to hear that. Um, but because of that, like he he just like, you know, hated women because like mm-hmm. the women in his lives he didn't have a good relationship with. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- th- there, there's something very, very important about kind of interrupting the dynamic that's building up because you have these boys and this this uh, boy who wrote Dr. Farrell talked about he just didn't have any structure in his life because mm-hmm. uh, you know he didn't have a father figure or, or male role model around. Like uh, I do think this is a microcosm of what is fueling the disintegration of American life is that you have a lot of kids growing up in that kind of environment, uh, and uh, and again for whatever reason a lot of mainstream media like don't want to look at this as like a struggle. Like everything that you see is around, uh, and these are things I'm for, by the way. It's like, you know, girls succeeding, women succeeding, people of color succeeding, like, uh, you know, people yes. like LGBTQ succeeding. Like, like, like you get that message all the time, like, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred times a day kind of thing. Um, and, and again, you could be like, yeah, I'm, I'm for these things. Um, but, but there's like an aspect that it seems to be at the expense of someone. Uh, and it, let's say that you are, and I use you always, Zach, because you're so perfect for it. But if you're like a, you know, like a straight white dude succeeding, like anyone celebrating your success? No, not particular. And, and, um, and then no, we had and our the, moment. It sounds like so. You know, or like, like just like you know that like you, you need everyone to succeed. Like it doesn't, you know, like I'm, I'm for people of historically marginalized uh, groups succeeding, but I'm for everyone succeeding, and the, you know, for like that fucking poor white. Like kid in the Midwest having like a mm-hmm. shot at life instead of like growing up and, you know, getting ticked off and eventually, uh, you know, like just saying like, yeah, like, you know, what's the point? I mean, like that, mm-hmm. that that's freaking terrible. It's like heartbreaking. It like, doesn't matter. Uh, who I mean, I feel like we, we've hit this note before, but uh, uh, that this there has to be a, a tough, you know, like real talk, uh, I suppose, about this stuff. Um, so talking to, to Dr. Farrell about it is definitely if anything, bolstered my uh, desire to try and make this case in a way that's productive and lead somewhere. And I was heartened by the fact that folks grappled with and did not dismiss like the Washington Post article. Yeah, that got good. You're up up bad, yeah. Yeah, I find myself mystified that I'm somehow becoming like a spokesperson for American masculinity uh, just because it seems so random. Well, no one's doing it. That, I mean, that's the point. Like, one of, some of these, a big aspect of this, Andrew, is 
no one's talking about it. And I'm not, I'm not coming at this from a boohoo Zach perspective, like no one's celebrating my success. I'm coming out of perspective is I know guys that if they feel like they don't have a path forward or a purpose, or they're told that you're a failure, you're the, you're the problem, which is a lot of it. They devolve into dark things. They, they head the wrong direction. That ends up hurting all the people you're trying to bump up, by the way. And um, at worst, it's school shootings and suicides. But at best, it's pornography and video games and um, various levels of anger and social media f- fire and discords. Yeah, J- James said to me, James uh, Treacle, who's uh, right behind the camera. But he Our said awesome that my, my purpose in American life is to say the things that people kind of sense on some level, but are not being said. It's yeah, like, did, did people, did people sense that, oh, by the way, we're automating away millions of American jobs and, you know, we're going to wind up in dark places and we should probably start thinking about universal basic income. I think a lot of people sense that, but just that, like there was no one whose institutional incentives were to make the case for it. Uh, I, I feel the same way about uh, boys and men where mm-hmm. like a lot of people sense this is going on, but for whatever reason, there are no institutional incentives to talk about it. Uh, even though it, it's very, very human and, and in my mind concerns everyone. Yep. I talked about Ian Bremmer earlier, but he had tweeted a graph about um, both the U.S. and China. But let's talk about the U.S. in particular. Are having, we're having less babies. We're having less kids. Which, which stands to reason. And I mean, is this how tight is? I'm assuming these are oh, it's, pretty it's very, very tight together, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so check it out. If you have fewer men who have stable jobs, mm-hmm. then you have lower rates of marriage yep. objectively. And now if you are a non-college graduate, you're below 50% in terms of the odds of you ever being married, yep. which makes me super sad because you used to be able to think, I think anyone just think like, well, eventually I'll get married. Um, so you have fewer marriages and then fewer people having kids. Marriage is becoming more of a luxury item, it appears. A time will tell on that. And therefore, kids probably will too. And you'll still have kids and you know, single parents and the like, but I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on what that means in the future? Like what, what happens to societies when they don't have enough kids? Do we just, uh, I'm assuming at two minutes they, they die off, right? It becomes a massive problem and there's no one to take care of the elderly. Um, well, in, in the U.S.'s case, it would be supplemented by immigration. So what, what happens mm-hmm. in aging societies that don't have kids the extreme example is Japan, where they don't allow any immigrants. They don't have immigrants, right? And then the freaking entire population just shrinks and shrinks, yeah. and you have massive problems. Uh, the the U.S. has relatively healthy levels of immigration. Yeah. Uh, recent immigrants have tend to have bigger families, by the way, too. Yeah. Um, it's one reason why the makeup of the country is likely to change. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in, in the U.S., what, you, what you'd imagine is that it would it would uh, speed up uh, like a diversifying population. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. In some of these, and I say this, some of these immigrant communities or some of the like lower-income communities, the, the public services suck. Public schools sucks. Healthcare sucks. Food sucks. Like, you end up with more people getting whether they're buried at the piling up at the bottom with less economic opportunities to go up. And then you have fewer and fewer at the top, even just by the numbers, ignoring the economic opportunity in some ways, just by sheer less rich people existing, right? If they're not having as many babies. I don't know. Sounds like some Hunger Games shit, though, to me. <laughs> well, what, what, what you said is very bleak, my friend. I, I will say you, you tweeted something that I thought was really interesting that bears out. Um, which is that the, the folks who are going to wind up uh, attending college and graduating from college are much more likely to be from uh, traditional family units than folks yeah. that, that, that are less so. And so you'll wind up with this very, very strange partitioning. Uh, and, and, and this makes sense, really. This is like the, the simplest way to like I think about it is like, look, uh, if you have a functional family, you're more likely to end up producing uh, functional high achieving kids. So mm-hmm. then if you have. Uh, you know, let's say a four-year college, it's going to be disproportionately com- comprised of kids from those units, mm-hmm. uh, and so that like that—that's going to be in my mind one of like the real uh, differentiators or conveyors of privilege and opportunity. Is like, did you come from uh, a family with a dad, a family like a two-parent household? And so, if you can swing that, then you, you know the odds of your outcomes being positive go up. Um, so interestingly enough, like if you were a school that was truly committed to diversity, you'd be like, you know, Hey, we're going to bring in a bunch of kids who like, you'd actually use family structure as one of your proxies. Right. There's, there's some challenges to that obviously. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not advocating that right. necessarily, but I'm just suggesting that, that, that that's actually going to be like the, the one of the biggest engines, uh, of intergenerational success. It's a new version. It's a new definition in a way of wealth in that if you have less money, and even less opportunity, but a stable family with two parents that love you um, and are involved in your life together, by the numbers, it appears that you'll have a better chance of success in moving, making, actually, this is actually by the numbers, you're more, more likely to make more than your parents did economically than you would if you're coming from a uh, single parent or um, a version of a broken home. And that, we haven't really wrapped our heads around that as a society. Um, because our incentives are not there. Well, and and the so way. this is the wild thing about it. This you know, brings us back full circle, which is, okay, like if you wanted to interrupt that chain, what would you be doing? You'd be trying to raise boys that could end up being strong fathers because yes. it turns out that dads wind up, uh, you know, conveying like a degree of stability and um, development, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, so this is the wild thing is that like, well, how do you get boys to be on the strong? It's like, well, you need to, like, you'd prefer them to have a father figure. So like at this point we should be doing our best to like install father figures wherever we can. Um, a, a lot of it too, in my mind would be, this is again, the circularity is like, well, uh, you know, for a dad to be around or for a guy to get to a point where he uh, gets married, like, you, you know, you need an economy that provides stable opportunities. Right. If you kick that away, then it all becomes harder. I, I, I will say that this particular line of inquiry that I've found myself in, which I knew mostly about um, from my research for the war on normal people, like 2017, 2018. Yep. Um, but it, it's it, it, it's now to me like the core struggle uh and it was around you know one of like the open questions is whether something like universal basic income 
uh, would help. Like I believe it would. Um, and one of the reasons why I believe it would is like people look at it and be like, hey, Andrew, if you get like guys money, like, you know, they're just going to spend it on nonsense and like it's not going to make them into like better partners, dads, et cetera. And it's like, eh, OK, like maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but one of the things that I remember reading about was like a family in West Virginia where there was a guy and he was hurt uh, and he was trying to work, but he was having a hard time getting a job. And then his relatives were encouraging him to go on disability. Mm-hmm. And then they, they framed his going on disability as a way to provide for the family. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you, know, you got to provide. Like uh, one of the problems, I think, is like a person shows up. What, let's, let's say it's like your you know, younger male cousin, your nephew or whatever, and they show up and they're not worth anything. Um, so even if they mm. had like universal basic income, it's like, hey, the person's now like adding value just by being mm. there and like ha- and bringing some economic resources with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that like so this makes me think that, yes, I do believe UBI is actually much more positive than it is negative in terms of reconstituting a sense of male value because then the guy shows up, it's like, oh, he's bringing money with him. It's like, you know, it's from that West Virginia family who were trying to get this guy to be like, hey, you know, you got to provide for the family. And in this case, that means getting a disability check. Right. It's interesting. I, you know what it is? In doing all this research, I've been thinking like probably very similarly to the way you thought when you were looking at the automation statistics and you're like wow this is a really big problem someone should run for president to bring awareness to this like maybe there's a world where i think someone could run for president on the boy crisis um failing boys and men i think it would not be that great if it came from the right um but they might win um Dude, i think if they point, came from in, the left point of do fact, a lot, more good a, a lot of the stuff right now from the right is capitalizing on the boy crisis Yes. Yes. That's totally. actually Republicans are great at this. They don't talk about the root of the problem, but they will. T- they will. They will fuel up. They'll that take symptom. advantage of the, the moment, right? Of the symptoms. Yeah. Fox News has been doing this for years. It was like scare your grandma, piss off your grandpa type I, stuff. But I, uh, I agree with you. This could be a pivot issue, and like you know, what direction you're running from would be fascinating. Uh, but I, I think this would galvanize millions of people very quick. And you have versions of this happening. And some of the culture wars, the right is is in, in flaring. I'm actually going to make a prediction, Zach. Yeah. Someone is going to run for president in 2024 on this. Look at that. I think you're right. Um, I actually know who it's going to be. So All right. So there's, there's your that. cheat code. Um, but I, Andrew yeah, Yang I, occasionally um, gets cheat codes. Um, I think they do surprisingly well. And I think my prediction on that is that a lot more of their base is women than men. Um, not more women than men, but a lot more women than you'd expect. Um, well, good. You know, great. I mean, heck, yeah. like women some of the women who are the most for, like the stuff I've been putting out have been uh, women who, yes. who get it. And they get it. Any mother of a son totally gets it. Any dad, any son that grew up without the right real mo- male role model and then found one, that's kind of the key. They usually get it too. They're like, oh, wow. Completely I think a lot of women get it because a lot yeah. of women are seeing the symptoms of it and being like, yo, like that, that's not great. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Anyway, on a more positive note, we're out here in Puerto Rico having a blast. <laughs> Let's go back to the sun. <laughs> we are going back to the sun. We're going to go to the beach. Guys, I hope you do. I recommend taking a vacation somewhere warm or if you're in somewhere cold in the months of January to March. Um, so glad we're able to do it and kind of share house it up. Um, but anyway, closing thoughts, Andrew. We rocking and rolling. Uh, you know, love, peace, <laughs> brotherhood, sisterhood. <laughs> love, peace. We love you. What are, do they have any good expressions in Puerto Rico? Like in Hawaii, it's like mahalo. I don't know. Um, I give up. We should cut this episode. We love you guys. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>